Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The views expressed on Upside of 40 are those of the guest alone. They do not necessarily represent the views of the show or its partners. Upside of 40, conversations for men on the upside of 40 and beyond. From talk about getting over and living with a traumatic event in your life. It's very difficult to to deal with. Our traumatic memory can lay dormant for years and years and years. To relationships. I've seen patterns over and over and over. They're real quick to interrupt and go, well, wait a minute. This has the trend line, but the way out of it is just give them some room to breathe and give them some room to feel hurt. To finally taking that leap into another career. There was a little bit of fear, but it just, it just, it was, it was time. Even grilling the perfect steak. Um, They cook really even, so you get a, you know, even temperature across the whole steak. And so much more. Welcome to Upside of 40. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Upside of 40. I'm your host, Sean Mooney. And I hope you enjoyed uh, this last episode with Dr. Ben Reuter on movement as exercise. And I know you're like, what, Mooney? Isn't movement the same as exercise? Yeah, yeah. Uh, But Dr. Reuter's theory is you can use all movement to benefit your health. You know, taking the stairs instead of the elevator. Uh, That's part of it, but there is much more to it. And uh, you'll find out if you just check it out, if you haven't yet. Uh, It will definitely make you think about how you move. That was a great episode, and it has changed the way, uh, you know, I go about doing my everyday movement. So check out the uh, latest episode, uh, last week's episode, anyway, of Upside of 40, because we've got another great episode coming your way. This is is an episode that I've wanted to do since the debut of Upside of 40, uh, a, a topic that I thought is just so, so important, was definitely on the top of my list. Heart health, yes, heart health, very, very important to this audience, men over 40 and beyond. Uh, In our 40s, man, we don't think about our hearts. We're in good shape. We think we're great. Everything's good. We take it for granted and really don't become aware of it, that uh, we do need to pay attention to it, unfortunately, until something catastrophic happens, like a heart attack. And what is really tragic is that, uh, as you're going to learn, that not many People, you know, actually survive that first heart attack. It, uh, you know, a lot of people just, uh, that's it. Uh, they get a bad heart attack, they have a massive heart attack, and uh, it's over. And, uh, you know, just to give you some perspective on all this, I looked up, uh, you know, some of the statistics from the American Heart Association. And, I mean, listen to this. Cardiovascular disease remains the leading cause of death in the United States, responsible for 840,768 deaths uh, 635,260 uh, cardiac-related 
in 2016. Man, uh, from 2006 to 2016, the U.S. death rate from CVD, cardiovascular disease, uh, decreased by 18.6%, and from coronary heart disease by 31.8%. Now, that is good news, but it is still a massive problem, especially the way a lot of people here in the United States are not taking care of their health these days, getting heavier and heavier, and with that, uh, we see you know upticks in diabetes and all of these other awful diseases that uh, can end your life very early. It says the annual cost of CBD in the United States was estimated at $351.2 billion uh, 2014 to 2015. And that's, you know, it just raises our health costs. And uh, it says approximately every 40 seconds, an American will have a, my- a myocardial infarction, uh, which means, you know, some kind of heart uh, episode here, myocardial uh, infarction. And the average age of most uh, people are 65.6 years old for men and 72 years for women. And that doesn't mean, that just says the average age. So you're talking on each side of that. But now is the time, if you're just over 40 or into your 50s, man, you've got to start paying attention if you haven't already. Uh, in, the, in the United States, and this is a 2019 statistic, coronary events are expected to occur to occur in about 1,055,000 individuals, including 720,000 new and 335,000 recurrent coronary events. That's people who have another event after already having an initial one. Now, that's a lot of numbers to throw at you, but the bottom line is it is a big problem here in the United States, and it is a topic that I wanted to cover. We're doing it in this episode, but I had to find somebody that not only was you know, a very credible expert when it comes to heart health and how the heart works, you know, because I think you need to understand that, to uh, really understand just how important it is and how how this happens over a period of years, which he's going to tell us all about. And I wanted to find someone who was also great at at being able to do that, to educate us in a very conversational way. And I definitely found the right person. Uh, Here's my conversation with Dr. R. Todd Hurst, a cardiologist and associate professor of medicine at Banner University Medical Center in Phoenix at the Phoenix Heart Institute. Take a listen. Folks, we've got a very special guest with us today. Uh, he's here in Arizona and uh, a very well-known uh, cardiologist uh, throughout the, uh, the medical industry. And uh, uh, he's really devoted his life to the prevention of heart disease. And I want to welcome uh, Dr. R. Todd Hurst. He goes by Todd, but... Uh, uh, he's Dr. R. Todd Hurst, and all of his writings and uh, and people in the industry know him. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for coming on Upside of 40 with us today. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, as I briefly explained before we started uh, you know, this conversation, this podcast is uh, really the focused on you know men over 40 and beyond. And so I wanted to start this conversation because at this point in our lives, uh, if you're 40 and beyond, you, you're, you're, uh, you, you've covered a lot of ground as far as taking care of your heart. So uh, tell me, uh, what are some of the best case scenarios at this point in your life and what are some of the worst that, uh, as far as people taking care of, of that ticker? Yeah, that's a great question and, and one that's particularly relevant to my interests and passion. So 
I think the most striking number that I emphasize with my patients when I talk to them about the prevention of heart disease that really emphasizes how prevalent uh, heart disease is, uh, is this, is that if we take 45-year-old men in the United States, uh, we know that about 60% of those uh, men, 6 out of 10, are going to have either a heart attack stroke or heart failure in their lifetime. So unfortunately, you know, it's not much of a statistical exaggeration. If we had three men in the room, uh, that two of the three of those men are going to suffer from major heart disease at some point in their lifetime. Uh, the, the other part of that though, that's the, the bleak part. The, Mm. the good news part is that the most of that heart disease is entirely preventable and we know how to do that. Uh, our challenge is getting people to actually do it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about this, uh, you know, and, and being if you're, if four decades in, uh, there's probably a lot has gone on. Uh, how much of it though is, uh, you know, how much, how well we take care of our hearts and how much is uh, genetics in a sense? Because I know both have a lot to do with, um, how good a shape your heart is in. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I talk to people a lot about. So, you know, while it's true you cannot change your genetics, they also do not have to be your fate. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the impact of, you know, that, that, uh, balance between, uh, the nature and nurture and your genetics and your, uh, lifestyle choices is one that's always of debate and difficult to, you know, give exact percentages in an individual. But I, what I will tell you, uh, is that I think the, the lifestyle changes are so very important because even with a genetic predisposition to artery disease, if you make the right choices, you can uh, vastly mitigate the, that risk. Uh, so I think the, the, the most important factors in preventing heart disease, we have complete control over. Now, have, have you found uh, along the way, because... Uh, there's so many different factors involved here and how, uh, you know, everybody is different. But if, uh, let's say you were active young, uh, you've stayed somewhat uh, active throughout your life at this point. Um, you think you've eaten well. Uh, how much ha- have you found does this really have to do with it? Because uh, there's other cases where, you know, somebody wasn't a super athlete, but uh, may have just taken what they'd consider maybe average care of themselves and they have good heart health. So how much does does that all really have to do with it as far as we'll, we'll you know, talk about exercise and what you put into your body, your diet? Yeah, those are really, really important. I mean, not just for heart disease, but for, you know, most of health. I, you know, nowadays the biggest problem in healthcare, in my opinion, is these chronic, uh, predominantly lifestyle-related diseases, which heart disease is one of those. But the, you know, the, maybe the more famous ones: diabetes, obesity, uh, pre-diabetes, high blood pressure. Uh, six out of ten adults in the United States have those diseases, Gosh. and the primary driver of those are the foods we eat, our physical activity. So uh, those those two factors are critically important. You know, and, and when you think about it, I mean, years ago, we didn't have all this information. We didn't, uh, you know, have all this data. You know, people pretty much just, uh, you know, were the meat and potatoes, uh, the bacon. and uh, But we really haven't seen a big decline, have we? I mean, uh, are people's health getting worse? And, and why? 
Yeah, the, so so that's a multi-part answer. Yeah. Um, actually, we've been incredibly effective at lowering the risk of heart disease death. So uh, there's been about a 60% decrease in heart disease deaths wow. since the 1960s, and and that's uh, you know multifactorial. Certainly, we take better care of heart attacks and uh, events than we used to, but most of that has been attributed to better prevention. So so that's a good news part of it. We're better at controlling blood pressure and uh, cholesterol and those kind of things. But because of the increasing issues with lifestyle, increasing obesity, just in recent years, we're starting to see that uh, not only are, are those curves starting to not decline, but they're even starting to turn around. And there are many experts that are predicting that current generations are not going to live as long as their parents did, which that'll be the the first time that's occurred in many centuries. See, that's that's really incredible to think about because, you know, I remember when I was younger and, uh, you know, if you had people live in the, into their 80s, which my, uh, my grandfather lived to, you know, almost 90. And I, I remember thinking at the time, well, by the time I'm that age, you know, we'll all be living to 120 or, or mm-hmm. something like that. And then to imagine with everything, with our advances in technology and uh, awareness and um, what we do with our foods now and how we that, you know, that we don't heed what we do, what we've learned along the way. Because uh, you, you see with with kids now that, uh, you know, you already have to start being concerned about their health with their with diabetes and d- diseases that you never, ever th- heard of of children getting before and is it you know the culture and and uh that we're seeing now and is and is it younger and younger that uh, their health is is declining oh absolutely you know if you ever want to be shocked to look at you know the the um, prevalence curves for obesity and mm. you know if you look at it over time since the 19 early 1900s there's been this you know, pretty steady around 15% prevalence of obesity in the United States. And uh, somewhere in the late 70s, that curve started to go up, and we're now at 40%. And wow. those numbers are even more striking in the in the youth, in the in the young people. And so, uh, certainly, things have you know gone in a wrong direction for us from a general health standpoint even though our medical care uh, is is the best you know we're we're the best in the world at taking care of acute disease but yeah. uh, much more practical would be to prevent that disease in the first place Judy was boring hello then Judy discovered jumbacasino.com it's my little escape now Judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And and is uh, obesity the biggest culprit uh, when we're talking heart health? Because there's so many things that come off of that. I mean, like you said, it's uh, not just. 
uh, heart disease, but, you know, stroke and, and uh, these other diseases that are very related to it. Is, is obesity really what it comes down to these days? That's the, the worst culprit in, involved? Yeah, obesity is really complex. You know, uh, certainly obesity is part of the risk factors for heart disease, but, you know, there's over 200 identified risk factors for heart disease. And how each of those interact with each individual's genetics, it's just, in, you know, really impossible to say, well, what is the relative contribution of all those things? But but to put a little, little bit more uh, structure to this, I'll bring up a concept that I think is really valuable, and that's one uh, It's called Life Simple 7. So Life Simple 7 is something the American Heart Association has come up with, and it's seven factors that when these factors are optimized, those people have 80% less heart disease than the people who don't optimize those factors. Now, what are those seven factors? Well, one of them is having a normal body weight. The other mm -hmm. ones is eating a, a nutritious diet. Uh, number three, being physically active, meeting the minimal uh, guidelines for physical activity. Number four, not smoking. Uh, number five, uh, good cholesterol numbers. Uh, number six, good blood sugar numbers, and number seven, good blood pressure numbers. So when all seven of those factors are optimized, people have 80% less heart disease. They have half the risk of stroke, a third less cancers, a third less dementias. Uh, the problem is that uh, the number of people who meet all of those factors is in the single digits. God, you know, and that's, that is just so amazing. And is it, I don't, I guess the, the harsh word would be to use the word lazy, but we're becoming very sedentary and it's, it's starting younger and younger. I mean, when I was a kid and probably the same was true for you, they, they couldn't keep us in the house. I remember we had a rule. You had to be home by the, when the streetlights came on and now you can't get the kids out. And it, it's very worrisome as far as, uh, you know, I remember just feeling like I could run forever. And uh, now these kids, uh, you know, it's it's a whole different culture, and and it goes on through their lives, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, it, I think there's you know several factors that are of concern. One of them is we uh, have so much more screen time than we used to. You know, I saw yeah. one paper that uh, suggested that uh, sitting time is increased by about two hours on average for uh, Americans. We're you know watching mm -hmm. anywhere from you know, four to seven hours of television, and you add on that uh, time in front of a computer or on our, our smartphones. Uh, certainly physical activity is part of that, but also our diet. Uh, you know, the, the numbers are 60-some percent of the American diet is uh, highly processed food, which, you know, is probably an important contributor to these epidemics we're seeing in obesity and diabetes and, and heart disease. Yeah, and it's distressing. You go to the grocery store where we're supposed to be going to get our good food, and you see they've got these uh, carts lined up, that uh, these electric carts that people drive around in. And you, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I don't mean to take anything away. I'm sure there are people that have serious health issues that might need something like that. But I think in a lot of cases, they're just too large, and they come in there to buy more things to make them larger. It, it really is uh, it's disturbing to think about mm -hmm. No, it really is, and and that's exactly right. I mean, I again, I think this is the biggest problem in healthcare, and you know, healthcare has been really good at doing what it's been paid to do, which is take a care of acute illnesses. You know, if you're having a heart attack or stroke, there's no better place in 
the world to be than next to a major U.S. hospital, either you know Phoenix, Tucson, or all the other major cities in the country. But you know what we haven't done a good job with, and we need to start doing a better job with, is how to help people stay healthier, and and that's primarily through better lifestyle choices. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and when it comes down to a doctor, uh, we're machines. I mean, our body is a, just this miraculous uh, creation. And uh, I thought it would be helpful for people because I don't think a lot of people understand just how the heart works. Um, could you kind of explain in, in as simple terms as possible uh, how how our heart works and, and, and what it does in our bodies and then how it starts to go wrong? But first of all, uh, just explain the machine itself. Yeah, it, it really is remarkable. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful uh, you know, physiologic concepts that I've ever come across. Of course, I'm a little biased because I, I do, <laughs> yeah. I'm a cardiologist, but you know, it's part of our vernacular and our culture also. I mean, we see the heart as kind of the center of our emotions. Uh, you know, when we talk about somebody with great courage, we say they have great heart. Uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, it, there is a specialness to the, to the heart that, you know, just doesn't apply to, I apologize to my, you know, hepatology colleagues, but to the liver or the stomach or, <laughs> yeah, or right. those kind it doesn't of things. Have yeah. uh, and it's, it, you know, sometimes it gets, uh, you know, uh, simplified down to, well, it's uh, just a pump. And, and in a sense it is. I mean, its main job is to circulate the blood, uh, the nutrients, the oxygen to the other parts of the body. But there is so much that goes into it, uh, the, the physiology of how it does its job, you know, without any conscious thought for us, uh, from the, you know, the early on in the, in the, um, development of us as fetus until the end of our life. And even, you know, maybe even beyond that, now that we do total artificial hearts, uh, it, it's really remarkable how it does its job and, and combines mm-hmm. not only the, you know, the physiology of circulating the blood, but the um, electrical system that uh, fires the muscle in the coordinated fashion and, you know, the um, the arteries themselves that feed the heart, uh, you know, that, that end up uh, being the problem in regards to heart attacks. It it really is a beautiful system. Yeah. And, and so uh, you're talking that it, it, it uh, pumps blood out, it draws blood through, it oxygenates it. Uh, but uh, there's this vast system of uh, canals, I guess, that that this blood travels through. And is that, uh, you know, is it just a matter of that tube becoming more constricted is is what happens? Uh, what happens over time and, and uh, when you start to get into trouble? Yeah, so uh, the veins bring blood back to the heart. The arteries take blood away from the heart. And... Yeah. Artery disease, uh, what we doctors call atherosclerosis, is the buildup of narrowing and blockages within those arterial systems. Uh, some of those arterial systems feed the heart, and when those blockages occur, it's a heart attack. But uh, artery disease can occur in 
most of the arteries within the body. For example, you can have uh, blockages in your neck arteries, and those can lead to uh, strokes. You can have uh, blockages in the arteries to your kidneys, which can affect the, the function of your kidneys, etc. Um, another big uh, category is what we call peripheral arterial disease, where uh, you get narrowing to the arteries to your legs, and people have uh, difficulty walking without uh, pain and cramping because their le- leg muscles are not getting good blood flow. And you know, when we talk about risk factors for heart disease, those are the risk factors for atherosclerosis that we're talking about. Yeah. And, and so uh, what is it that that constricts those arteries? Uh, we you know, we always we hear about plaque. I think you can imagine it when you think about it, that it's, you know, it's just a, a buildup of material. But what what is it? What is it really that uh, how this occurs? Yeah, so it starts in the really, really young. I mean, we have evidence from autopsy studies from the Korean War, for example, that uh, fatty streaks are starting in the arteries of people in their teens and 20s. Uh, but it and slowly builds up over time. And its rate of progression is, again, those 200 risk factors in unique genetics kind of determine that. But the scary thing about artery disease is even though it's a decades-long process that leads up to an event, the acute event often occurs suddenly and without warning. And the way that occurs is that, uh, for example, I think this is a surprise to a lot of my patients when I explain this to them. Most heart attacks do not occur because of progressive narrowing of the artery, what happens is there's a plaque there that's, and plaque is a, you know, a, a, a buildup within the arterial wall of cholesterol and inflammatory cells. What happens is that plaque ruptures and the body's defense to that is to form a blood clot. That blood clot is the one that uh, acutely obstructs blood flow and, and leads to a heart attacks. And, you know, artery disease, Again, decades-long process, but uh, can uh, come on without warning. The the really scary thing is about 25% of people, their first sign that they have heart disease is they die. We call that yeah. sudden cardiac death. And so, yeah. even though we have really effective means for prevention after heart attacks, some people just aren't going to benefit from that because they're not going to live long enough to get there. You know, and when you start getting this buildup, is there a way? Uh, besides, you know, a stent or something actually going in there and clearing it out to, uh, to get it rid of it or at least minimize it more. Are there yeah. methods today to do a- that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so we have really good evidence that, uh, cholesterol medicines called statins reverse mm-hmm. artery disease. Uh, but we also have evidence for many of the factors that we uh, attribute to better health, the things that we talked about in Life Simple 7 of being physically active, eating a healthy uh, diet, keeping blood sugars and blood pressures under good control, that those can lead to regression of artery disease. But what I emphasize to my patients who come to see me that have had some kind of warning sign that they have more artery disease than they expected, maybe they had a you know, a CT calcium score, they had an ultrasound of their neck arteries that showed more advanced artery diseases that while, you know, we can regress that, the changes are really small. Uh, we don't, we, we, it's statistically significant in a large research study population, difficult to identify in an individual, but 
What we are really good at is preventing events. And, you know, if I could, uh, you know, if I told you when you came in with, you know, the evidence of artery disease that, well, I can make your arteries look great, but it's really not going to lower your risk of heart attacks and strokes. That's not all, all that desirable. But what I know I can do is lower your risk of heart attack, strokes, and, and death in the future by optimizing your prevention regimen. Okay, and and give me some of that. What 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 is some of the uh, uh, prevention regimen that we we can do? At this so point? yeah, I'll go back to that life simple seven. So okay. uh, eating nutritious food, being physically active, not smoking, uh, you know, good having your blood sugars under good control, good, having blood pressure under good control, and you know, blood pressure. I want to pause on that one because I think that's just so important. Uh, now. We, we know 46% of adults in the United States have high blood pressure, and mm-hmm. the numbers continue to go up. For those people over age of 75, it's more like 80% of them have high blood pressure. And wow. yet, even though we, we, almost, we can treat almost everybody, optimize their blood pressure with lifestyle changes and very inexpensive medications, less than half the people have their blood pressure uh, controlled. So that's a really great opportunity to lower their events. And then the, the other factor and the one that I spend most of my time talking with my patients about is the risks and benefits of statin medications. Not that cholesterol or statins are the be-all, end-all in preventing heart disease, but because the level of risk is what is primarily determines whether you should be on a statin or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm on a statin. Uh, I take my cholesterol. I mean, and I'm, I weigh a, uh, I guess I'm normal weight. I've got, I'm about six feet tall. I weigh uh, between 180 and 188 most of the time, but I, I, it's genetic in my family. I mean, uh, high cholesterol and I take the simvastatin. Is that helping my heart health by taking that? Cause I just thought it was, uh, you know, uh, helping my cholesterol. Yeah. Un- undoubtedly it's lowering your risk. I, I think this is a, a, a common misconception about these, and, it, and it's partly medicine's fault, is that we call them <laughs> cholesterol medicines. That, that's, yeah. you know, so people can understand it. It's, it's not always easy to translate medical terminology into, you know, regular people uh, terminology, but we, I, and I, even I refer to them as cholesterol medications, but what they really are is risk medications. And let me explain what I mean by that. Um, certainly we know that they lower cholesterol, but we also have other medications that lower cholesterol that don't lower the risk of heart attacks and strokes and deaths. So we don't use those medicines. Uh, another important point about statins is that even in people with really good cholesterol numbers, numbers that we would have said were, were uh, ideal, um, if they have had heart disease, we know that further lowering their, or I'm sorry, putting them on a statin medication, even when their cholesterol numbers are good at baseline, further lowers their risk of heart attacks and strokes. Oh. So I think the better concept of statins is that they are risk medications. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stay on mine. I, I, I missed some days now, but now you've uh, yeah. <laughs> encouraged me to, to not. Uh, because yeah, uh, it's, that's it's statins are the, you know, the most yeah. prescribed medications in the United States. They're, uh, and the reason why is because they work. I know there's a lot of, you know, misinformation and, and kind of biased, uh, uh, information out there about statin medications that can scare people off. But honestly, I, you know, I take one myself. I've been a physician for 24 years now, so you can imagine I have, tens of thousands of patients on these medications and the, yeah. 
benefit of them for the risk of them, I think there's few things in medicine that are more positive. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about diet, though, because, uh, you know, doctor, we, we hear so many different uh, things out there. It's, you know, there's the Mediterranean, there's the Whole30, there's all, there's the low carb, there's, there's just so many of these out there. And uh, I think people get confused of, okay, what do I do? Because, you know, it used to be we weren't supposed to eat eggs. Then it's okay to eat eggs. And we just, uh, you, you never really know. But what do you recommend to people as far as their diets go? Is there one that you think is the best? Is uh, what, what are the guidelines from you? Yeah, so that's a great question, one that I get a lot because you're right. There is a lot of confusing information oh, about yeah. uh, diets out there. And, and there was a time, frankly, early in my career where I was confused about this because, I, you know, to be honest, I didn't learn much about nutrition and diet in medical school. It wasn't something that was taught. But, uh, you know, when I really did, dug into this and started looking at the, the information, I realized that, it, it, it's complex, and, and we've made it uh, purposely complex in a, in, a, in a way because, you know, nutrition research is really difficult to do. And, and frankly, no matter what your viewpoint is, you could probably go out and find a research study that would support that. But what I did find out is I, I learned through my practice and, and my research and talking to experts in this, a couple of fundamental th things that I think are, are really important. Number one is there is no best diet for everybody. There, you know, er there, there's multiple different healthy diets and finding that right one for you is critically important because even if we knew what the best diet was, if people aren't going to eat it, it's not going to do them much good. Uh, and, and so I think it's finding that healthy diet for you that makes the most sense, whether that's paleo or Mediterranean or vegan or vegetarian, uh, whatever that is. The other more important factor, I think, and one that's universal on all healthy diets is they are low and highly processed foods. And mm. so I think that's the most important advice that I could give anybody about a healthy diet is do your best to avoid the highly processed foods. And what I mean by that are the packaged foods, often they're very mm -hmm. high in added sugar, high in refined grains like, you know, white flour, or they're loaded with preservatives and chemicals. You read the ingredient label and it has so many things on there that you either can't pronounce or you don't recognize as food. I believe those are the foods that have made us obese, and I think those are the foods that are killing us. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, and, and if someone is searching out there, uh, because one one diet that I, I've uh, kind of adapted and kind of made a part of my lifestyle is the Mediterranean. And, just, and that's just because I know that there's a lot of good food in it. Uh, it's, uh, it's easy to, you know, there's a lot of fresh food in it. And, uh, but what, what do you recommend for people? Because like you said, stay away from the processed foods. That's, that's, uh, that, you know, that's great. But there are a lot of people that want to find, they want some kind of guide. So uh, what is the best way to find what works for you? 
Yeah, I think if you start with the processed foods, that's a a critically important thing. I mean, I know people, you know, sometimes will say, well, that's that's too simple or I'm not really eating a lot of processed foods. But when they really look at their diet and as I mentioned earlier, more than 60 percent of the U.S. diet is highly processed foods. So, you know, we're eating a lot of those processed foods, but then it's finding what works for you. And, you know, for some people, it, it is the vegan, you know, vegetarian, whole food, plant based diet. Uh, that's what works best for them. Mediterranean diet is the most uh, common healthy diet. I, I think it's the one that also has the best evidence for it. Uh, but to say that that's the best diet, I don't think that that's true either because they've never been uh, compared head to head. My diet tends to be more of a Mediterranean type of diet, but I know patients who have had remarkable results on paleo, on whole food, plant-based diet, uh, even the keto diet, which has been kind of the you know diet uh, du jour in in recent uh, you know recent times, can be a healthy diet if it's low in in highly processed foods. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we talk about those, uh, the light, the simple sevens and, and, uh, you know, there may be a lot of men out there think, yeah, I, th- I think I follow that kind of. And they may not be overweight and they, you know, may not have all of these, uh, signs or these warning signs. But like you mentioned, six out of 10 of, uh, of us are going to have some kind of heart uh, incident. And a lot of it, and especially with men, is that we deny there's something wrong. So, and, and I know what the time is so crucial. So, uh, walk us through what are the, what are the real warning signs when something like this happens to you? You've got to pay attention to it. Yeah, so, you know, I think before, um, you know, before events or symptoms occur, the things that I would be most concerned about are uh, for people that have family histories of heart disease, particularly mm-hmm. if it's early in their family. Uh, those those people, you know, should see somebody early on that is uh, has specialty interest in preventing uh, heart disease, uh, and then it's the risk factors that we, uh, you know, all know. If their blood pressure is high, if they're, you know, if they have diabetes, if they smoke or have smoked uh, in the in the past, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, 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 those would be the individuals that need special attention to prevention. Um, if if there's questions, particularly around family history, or a lot of times we have people that say, "Oh, I have." You know, I have this risk factor, but then I've done a really good job on these other risk factors. Sometimes right. an imaging study can help, uh, you know, decide whether somebody needs to be more aggressive. Like a, uh, a CT calcium score is really common in our practice. We use carotid ultrasound a lot to, to just identify those people that may be at higher risk than they think they are or that they would appear to be from, uh, you know, more uh, a cursory glance at their risk. Uh, then in regards to symptoms that, that should be raised to attention, uh, the big ones are things that come on with physical activity. So if they're getting, you know, chest tightness or chest pain, we call it chest pain, but more often people describe pressure or other, uh, symptoms that are less specific. Anything that comes on with physical activity, shortness of breath, chest pain, you know, even if it's shoulder pain, jaw pain, elbow pain, uh, mm-hmm. neck pain, any of those things, that, that should that should warrant a visit with a physician. Um, if somebody's having ongoing symptoms at rest, uh, you know, chest pressure, pain, shortness of breath, 
nausea, you know, breaking out in a sweat, we call diaphoresis. Uh, those would be signs to call 911 and be uh, be evaluated urgently. So you mentioned that you know a lot of people don't survive that that first attack, uh, but what are are there things you can do when something like that that occurs that is going to increase your chance of survival? Absolutely, nine one one. It's time is critical. You know we we call the first hour after a heart attack starts as the golden hour because mm. if we can get that artery open within that hour then those people do remarkably better and all the time that goes on uh, before that delays that from occurring uh, puts that patient at higher risk for uh, bad outcomes, whether it's death or whether it's uh, further damage to the heart muscle that leads to a lifelong uh, problem with congestive heart failure. Uh, it really is a critical to be evaluated urgently. And uh, I guess, you know, they even say, I mean, if you're closer to a hospital, you have a, a, a better chance of surviving. I guess it comes right down to it. It is, it is a, a time factor. And, uh, like I said, I think what happens to a lot of people is they ignore those initial uh, symptoms and think, ah, you know, or it may even be an insurance situation. But, uh, you know, I'm sure you uh, above anybody else would recommend to somebody you got to take these things seriously and, and do something. Absolutely. If, if you're concerned, then call 911. Don't drive yourself to the emergency room. And I I understand. I hear this a lot from from patients that oh, I didn't want to bother anybody yeah. or I didn't. Yeah. I'd feel foolish if I got there and it wasn't my heart. Well, 85 percent of the people that come to emergency room thinking they're having a heart attack are not having a heart attack, which mm. is good news. Uh, yeah. But the point is, is that we can't always tell. I mean, I. Even even as a cardiologist with all the years of experience that I have of talking to people about their symptoms and heart disease and all these things, I can't make that determination over the phone. We really need people to come to the emergency room, get an EKG, get blood test, and really put it all together. Yeah, and um, doctor, when, when people uh, you know do have a heart attack, it is, uh, I mean, damage is done no matter what. I mean, you, even if you get blood flowing through there or can you really minimize it? But uh, what kind and, and what kind of damage happens when you have a heart attack? Yeah, so you know, a heart attack—it's called the medical term—is myocardial infarction. Uh, means that there is damage to the heart muscle, but there's a lot of variance in that. Some people can have a heart attack, and it, it actually doesn't show any. Uh, effect on the function of the heart, meaning that when we do uh, such an echocardiogram to look at the squeeze function of the heart, it can look completely normal because the damage was so slight. Uh, on the other hand, people can lose the function of almost all of their heart muscle uh, from from the heart attack. So it really depends on where the blockage is, how acutely it occurs, how fast uh, we get that artery open, all of those things. And, and can you uh, repair it? Uh, it? Is there, uh, you know, can a heart come back and it repair itself to some degree after you have a heart attack? 
Yeah, that that's probably the answer is no. We yeah. you know, we we're still uh in the infancy about uh gene therapy and yeah. uh and and uh looking at ways to regenerate heart muscle that was really promising years ago. Uh then more recent data turned out to be uh not as promising as we thought that it was and so we're still working on that. I will say though that People do have recovery of heart function uh, after heart attacks sometimes. It, it, it's uh, probably that there's stunning of the heart muscle that ends up recovering, uh, you know, and so we, we look at their heart function, say, right in the, in the midst of the heart attack, and let's say it's maybe half of what is normal, but we wait six weeks, 12 weeks down the road, and they, they've recovered some degree of that function. We don't know that until we, we you know, wait that time to, to reassess it. And uh, what are your chances of having another one once, once you, have, you have had an attack? So those are the people that are at highest risk. Anybody mm-hmm. who's had a heart attack or stroke, we, uh, you know, th- those are the group that we know is at most risk for recurrent events. So those are the people that we want to be the most aggressive with our prevention. And, uh, yeah, and, and for, for that, folks, I mean, don't have the first one. And there are things, like I, I mentioned, even though, uh, you know, this audience is, uh, for the most part, 40 and beyond, uh, there are things, like you said, even if you are in, in uh, maybe in bad heart shape right now, uh, if you haven't had a heart attack, uh, there are things you can do. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you've had uh, patients come to you, you've seen that they have the warning signs. Where do you have them start? I mean, it's, you know, basically say, do you want to live? But at the same time, where do you have them start to change their life? Yeah, so that's a great, great question. You know, the, the things that we're really good at in medicine is, uh, prescribing medications. And so if I see a patient who's at particularly high risk for future heart disease, first I, you know, explain to them my concerns and then I explain the opportunities that they have to change that trajectory that they're on to, you know, potentially early death or, or early heart disease. Uh, you know, starting with a statin medication, if that's appropriate, and it is in most of these people, making sure we have their blood pressure optimized and their diabetes well taken care of. If they're smoking, emphasizing the dramatic lowering of their risk if they quit smoking. Uh, but, but a lot of it also, all of those things can be improved with better lifestyle choices. You know, uh, being physically active, eating a healthy diet, and weight loss is is showing to be even you know just a dramatic improvement in treatment of heart disease like for atrial fibrillation uh, if people yeah. are overweight and they have the heart rhythm problem called atrial fibrillation if they lose weight uh their risk of recurrent atrial fibrillation is dramatically less uh, i think that, that what i emphasize to people is that it doesn't have to all be changed at once. Oftentimes, the most effective way is to start small, uh, but the path to lasting weight loss, to better health, is the same. It's universal for everybody. It's habits. It's doing the things every day that are consistent with your better health goals. When you line up your habits in the right way, you're going to achieve lasting results every time. Yeah, I mean, it is. It really comes down to lifestyle. But um, for those who are listening who maybe have never had that kind of discipline, because it does take it does take discipline to develop those habits. 
where do you suggest they begin? Like you said, you can, you can put them on a statin. Um, you can get them to quit smoking, which is going to help out tremendously. But that diet and exercise really does take discipline. And uh, where do they start? Yeah, so I, I think that the common, you know, pitfalls that I see people have in this is that they're, you know, they, they have a health scare or some other event and they're very ambitious and they take too much on. So they dramatically change their diet. They go to this very restrictive diet that they're, they're miserable on. They, you know, decide to join CrossFit or, you know, get a personal trainer who, you know, pounds them into the, in, into the floor, you know, for an yeah. hour at a time. Can't move. And yeah. They get yeah. to, to, to that. And so I tell them, you know, start, you know, much more slowly. I think if they're not doing it already, one of the most effective ways to start is to get up every morning and go for a walk. I, it, it sounds like, I know it's particularly men will say, oh, what good is that going to do? I mean, they're marketing back to their, you know, athletic days when they'd spend two hours in the, you know, gym lifting heavy weights yeah. and, you know, and think that that's the level that they need to do to be healthy. That's absolutely not true. Fairly modest levels of physical activity have really dramatic effects on our health. But the idea is that five minutes of walking, you're right, maybe that's not going to make big difference in the short term. But by starting with that five minutes, something that's so easy that you, you just be embarrassed to not be able to take that on, right? You can yeah. get up five minutes early and go do that. Sets the tone for the day, starts to build that baseline so that then you can build on that over time. I think that's the, been the most effective way because then when people start seeing some success, you know, they start, uh, you know, with physical activity and they start sleeping a little better and then they start feeling a little better and then they're realizing, you know what, that McDonald's for lunch, I just felt horrible after yeah. that. I'm going to make a better choice there and and they make those changes over time those are the ones that i see that that really achieve lasting results yeah and and you uh you mentioned a great point there is that it, a lot of this is mental it really is because uh you know getting up and maybe five minutes of walking isn't going to have a big impact in changing your your physiology but when you're out there and it's this beautiful morning and then you're looking wow this is this is great so maybe Next day he walks, you know, for seven minutes and then it becomes a, a regular part of, of what you do. But it really is uh, a, a big part of this is, is the mental aspect, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think it, it you know, I, this is something that I've been very interested in 10 plus years is how yeah. to help people achieve those healthier goals. And, and I think, you know, a couple of points about that. One is that. Often what's, you know, what's interpreted as resistance is lack of clarity. You know, we, uh, as you'd mentioned earlier, it's not always easy to understand what you should eat. And there's these people, you know, that are saying that you should eat keto and these people that say, no, Mediterranean and then vegan. And you bounce back and forth between all those. And then, you know, you read a newspaper article that says, well, weight uh, exercise doesn't really help with weight loss. So I guess that's not really important. I, I think one thing is getting a clear path, you know, not just, hey, go lose some weight and get some exercise, but find those daily actionable goals that are going to get you started towards uh, your ultimate goal that you want to achieve. But also uh, the, another thing that I think is a really great tool to use is that if there's something that you want to undertake and it's really important to you, do it first thing in the morning. I, I think one, yeah. 
it, it prevents that, uh, ha- you know, like for me, I know I used to, I struggled with getting regular with physical activity for many years because I wouldn't do it first thing in the morning. Yeah. I'd say, oh, I'll do it after work. But, you know, how often things came up or, yeah. you know, some other distraction or whatever. And next thing I know, it's been two weeks and I hadn't been to the gym. When I, you know, committed to that, I'm going first thing in the morning. That's when I when that's when I was able to to make it a daily habit. And I I think that's a pretty pretty common observation is that if you can start your day off right, not only will you get it done, but it also sets the tone for the day so you can make better decisions throughout that day. Yeah, and, and you hit on something here too, doctor, with uh, you know, like going to the gym. And I've read a few articles lately about the benefits of of weightlifting for older people, and it's something that. You know, people kind of go, what? Why would I want to lift weights now? But uh, I don't know how much it would benefit your your heart health. But uh, do you see benefits to doing that? Because as far as uh, you know, the, the how it affects your entire body, it, it's got to have some impact on your heart. I would say that's uh, probably the most underutilized and most powerful anti-aging. Yeah. Uh, intervention that anybody can undertake is strength training. You're right. And it's, it's, uh, you know, really common in women, but common in men also, uh, particularly if they're, if they're looking to lose weight, they may be resistant or reluctant to do strength training because they're thinking, well, you know, muscle weighs more than fat. Why would I want to, to, you know, do strength training? Cause I'm going to gain weight if I do that. But, the truth is, is that muscle is also a primary determinant of our basal metabolic rate or the amount of calories we burn throughout the day. And so as you add that muscle, you are going to get younger. You're also going to increase your metabolic rate. You're going to get uh, more functional. You're going to feel better. Uh, I think strength training is a critically important factor for anybody who wants to live, live the, their best and most healthy life. Yeah, and we're not talking, you don't have to go and put the plates on. This isn't about, you know, if you can you lift more than someone else in the gym. That's not what we're talking here. This is, uh, you know, where you're, uh, it's movement for one thing and, uh, and toning, a balance, a core strength, and there's just so many things. And, and, uh, you mentioned, I mean, you lose a lot of your, your muscle mass as you get older. And to, as, as the more you can do to, to uh, keep that around is, is going to help you you know, all the way around as far as uh, being healthy. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Really important. And I just would say that, you, you know, emphasize what you just said is start slow, you know, and particularly if you're a man and, you know, you used to be in the gym a lot, you haven't been there for a decade or two and uh, don't go back in thinking you're going to, you know, show all the young guys how to do it again, you know, start slow, yeah. uh, lighter weights, higher reps, uh, because the last thing you want to do is get injured and, and really set yourself back. Yeah, and 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 it's it's the the whole uh, way you got it, you look at it. I have other friends that haven't worked out for years, and they said, well, you know, they want to go to the gym, and I'm going to join. I said, you know what? Just go take a walk. You got to do something that you're going to enjoy. And and you mentioned it too. Like a lot of these guys go and they get they're all in, you know, and they go and they get the trainer. And then they get the lactic acid, they can't move and they're miserable. And they're like, you know, this lasts for two weeks and they're done. But you got to start out and make it enjoyable. That's what it's supposed to all be about. So I hope. No, they, they, amen. And, and, yeah. and also, uh, you know, I, I think that's something that is really important in the whole idea of habit formation. You know, we talked right. earlier about the, the path for just about everybody and getting healthy and, and losing weight is developing those habits. And, 
you can't form habits around things you hate. You know, you have to find your, you know, you, something that you can at least not hate. Uh, ideally, you enjoy it and, and you like doing it. Uh, I will tell you that I, you know, I went from maybe 15, 20 years ago where I was a, a very unhealthy person. I, I ate poorly. I didn't exercise. I grew up athletic, but then, you know, medical school and residency, yeah. I was working yeah. 80, 100 hour, you know, weeks. I just, I, I got out of the habit of, of physical activity and I knew I had to change my life around. If I would have started then what I do now, I would have been done. Like there's no way I would have been able to do that. But over 15 years, I've just slowly in, you know, increased my running time, increased my time in the gym, uh, improved my diet. And, and through that process, I've, I've gotten to the point where, you know, I'm quite happy with, with where my, my personal lifestyle choices are. Yeah. And, and it doesn't really matter when you start, uh, either doctor. I mean, uh, right. As far as, uh, you, like I said, you probably have people that come in, uh, never have really had to worry about their health and then suddenly they have a scare. Or whatever, and then it's like, oh my! And here I am. I'm 60, and I've never really done anything. It, you know, you can get, you can, uh, you can get very healthy. It doesn't matter when you start. I mean, yeah, ne- never too late. And even yeah. people in their 80s and even 90s, I've seen, yeah. you know, take on strength training regimens and and dramatically improve their quality of life. So absolutely. And now overall, and this will never change, folks, is that you really. Uh, you you have to take care of yourself and and uh, there's no there's no uh, magic cure they're not going to come up with these uh you know something that's going to clear your arteries out and you know you have to take care of yourself but doctor are there things you're seeing uh, you have to keep up on uh, all of this all the time is uh, that we uh, are seeing that uh, you know may change the way we look at heart health in the future uh, you know, good question. Um, you know, I think that, that what you just said is really important is that there is no magic bullet, uh, right. so far. And I'm pretty sure there's not going to be one. Um, more recent, uh, research evidence that I think has been really relevant to, uh, heart disease. One is the value of the imaging studies in selected patients. Not everybody needs these, but in people that we're not really sure about their risk, uh, I think the calcium score, the ultrasound of the arteries, I think that evidence is building and I think we're not very far away from, uh, you know, from those being covered by insurance where they typically have not been. Yeah. Uh, I think also the uh, information on the importance of lowering the cholesterol aggressively in people who are particularly high risk for heart disease, that has continued uh, to evolve. I, you know, the last thing I think I'll, I'll mention is the lack of research evidence supporting the use of supplements. Uh, you know, we have these supplements that, that kind of come and go over the years. I mean, for me, having done this for a long time, I, I remember the B vitamins for preventing heart disease and vitamin E and right. uh, L-arginine and more recently vitamin D. Uh, these things keep coming and they keep going because once we do really good placebo-controlled randomized trial, we're not seeing that they provide those benefits. And I, I think it's attractive to think we're going to get some, you know, magic in a, in a pill, uh, but uh, that magic is in healthy food. I just don't think we're going to be able to distill that down into a pill anytime soon. Yeah, well, Dr. R. Todd Hurst, uh, thank you so much. He's with Banner University Medical Center. 
in Phoenix, the Heart Institute. Ed is world-renowned, folks. And uh, I'm looking at his resume here. Doctor, you have just an incredible uh, background, but you've made it uh, very conversational today. And I really uh, I'm, I'm so pleased that you came on because I think uh, you, you put it in pretty simple terms to people. And the bottom line is take care of your heart. Yeah, well, it's a real pleasure. I, I always enjoy talking about these things. I, uh, you know, and, and I couldn't agree more that there's so much opportunity. And I hope that, uh, you know, some people get some good information here that will help them improve their health and quality of life for the future. A great conversation with Dr. R. Todd Hurst, a brilliant cardiologist, very, very knowledgeable and we just got some great information. I hope you will take it to heart, literally, and take care of uh, that great muscle in your body because uh, it ain't, if it ain't ticking right, folks, you're not going to stay on this planet much longer. And uh, please heed uh, Todd's advice. You know, so he's got this great title, Dr. R. Todd Hurst, but he, he likes you to just call him Todd. But uh, really, just a, a brilliant doctor. And uh, you know, I hope you got a lot out of that episode if you did, please tell your friends to listen. A part of this, uh, part of the, having this podcast is to create this library. So I don't, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to listen to every episode as it comes up, but as it's relative to your life. So you can go back in the library and uh, pull up an episode because you want that information right now at that point in time. So uh, if you've got friends that are your age in the wheelhouse, Tell them they need to listen to that episode about those seven tips about taking care of yourself and all that other great information. And I want to thank uh, Dr. R. Todd Hurst from uh, Banner uh, University Medical Center out of Phoenix. All right. It is time for one of my favorite segments here on the podcast, What's Up? And uh, uh, an interesting topic here, and this is one, uh, you know, I, I, I reveal personal information here now and then. I think it's relevant so that you... Uh, understand in some cases I really know what I'm talking about. Uh, I lost my father when I was about 18 years old to suicide. Uh, you know that uh, uh, there's probably someone that you know close to you who you've lost to suicide or you've heard about it through other friends. I mean it is a, a growing problem here in the United States. And there was an article uh, that I found it says uh, the 988 proposed 988 proposed as national Su- suicide prevention hotline number. And I think this is a tremendous idea because, you know, we've got 911 for emergencies. But what they found is if somebody's in crisis, which that would certainly be an emergency, uh, somebody might call 911. Well, uh, when, when somebody's calling in that situation, they, are, they need to talk to somebody. It isn't that they're, they're going to say, hey, have somebody come over here and save me. Don't send an emergency. They don't want they want to be able to talk to somebody. And 911 is not the place for that to happen. 911 is when you have an emergency, you need to get people there within minutes. You can't tie up those lines. So there's this proposal now to have a national suicide prevention hotline number and make it simple so that all anybody has to remember is three numbers. And in this case, 988. And this is, uh, as the article says, in response to a growing suicide epidemic across the U.S., the federal government is proposing a new national three-digit number, just like 911, that would connect callers with life-saving resources in times of mental crisis. Now, the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, is recommending 988 to uh, route callers to the the closest crisis center to them. Uh, The number to use is now a a traditional length, and we don't have this 988 number, so please take this down because 
Uh, not may, Maybe it's something you might want to use. I don't know. But you could give it to a friend who needs it. It's uh, 1-800. That's real simple. 1-800. And then 273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. Now, that is the current number that uh, people can call and then get routed to a uh, crisis center near them. But uh, there's a quote here from the FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, who says uh, there is a suicide epidemic in this country and it is disproportionately affecting at-risk populations, including our veterans, which is huge. Uh, they're, uh, you know, we're losing veterans uh, every single day and it's just uh, awful. Also, LGBTQ youth. And the FCC chairman says uh, in this statement, crisis call centers have been shown to save lives. And that is absolutely true. Uh, the current federally financed National Suicide Prevention Lifeline provides free and confidential emotional support to people in suicidal crisis or emotional distress 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I, But I think in many cases, you know, people don't know that number. Uh, and they maybe they're in such uh, emotional stress and they're not, not going to look it up. I don't know. But if you knew, if you know that it's three simple numbers, nine eight eight, you might make that call. And I and I think it is definitely a tremendous idea. I think that that person might be more apt to make that call. And here's a, an alarming statistics in some states in, that they've seen the suicide rates uh, up up to fifty eight percent in some of these places. From 1999 to 2016, that is uh, huge. And nearly 45,000 lives were lost from suicide in 2016 alone. 45,000 lives, according to the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. In 2017, suicide was the 10th leading cause of death uh, in the nation. Uh, 47,173 people took their own lives uh, that year. You know, so we really need to do something about this. And I think that uh, this could certainly help getting this 988 uh, uh, number. And uh, quickly, the warning signs of suicide. Uh, uh, people pay attention to this, uh, talking about wanting to die or kill themselves. People who do that. Looking for a way to kill themselves, like searching online or buying a gun. Uh, certainly a, a alarm or red flags. Uh, talking about feeling hopeless or having no reason to live. Talking about feeling trapped or in an unbearable pain, talking about being a burden to others, increasing the use of alcohol or drugs, acting anxious or agitated, behaving recklessly, sleeping too little or too much, withdrawing or isolating themselves, uh, showing rage or talking about seeking revenge and having extreme mood swings. And uh, we've heard about all of this in the news. Uh, not only are some of these people you know, suicidal, but they want to take people with them. So we really do need to wake up and start paying attention because I, I think uh, a huge part of this is mental illness. And folks, we need to uh, start paying attention to it and doing something about it. Okay, the other uh, topic I wanted to address is uh, kind of an alarm, alarming homeless population problem. And this certainly uh, addresses our listening audience here because it says uh, this article, 11% of the homeless population was over 50 years old in 1990. Today, 50% of the homeless population is 50 and older. And that is a, according to the Association of Mature American Citizens, AMAC. Um, and here's the article. It says, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, some 12.3% or more of the U.S. population, nearly 40 million men, women, and children live in poverty in this country. And uh, that is uh, really alarming. Um, 
There's a quote in here. Too many of them do not have the means to find shelter. Therefore, they're forced to live hand to mouth and find themselves homeless, which is bad enough for younger members of that population. But consider how hard it is for the elderly and how grim it is for seniors dealing with health issues. And, uh, you know, that really is something that uh, we're, we're starting to see as this population gets older. They don't have options. They may not have any money uh, in many cases. And uh, where do they go? So uh, this is a growing problem. The Department of Housing and Urban Development says 553,000 Americans were homeless last year. Um, that's uh, over a half a million and he adds that uh, half of them were over 50 years of age, and studies show that the 50-plus segment of the homeless population is likely to triple over the next 10 years. In 1990, only 11% of the homeless population was 50 and older. And, you know, that may not seem like a gigantic number, 553,000, considering how many people we have in this country, 330 million. But that's over a half a million people who do not have a place to live. They are homeless. And you, you are seeing this in cities all over the country. And those folks out on the corners and the people sleeping in the streets are now, uh, a lot of them are over the age of 50. Uh, and, they, and they don't have any means of supporting themselves or taking care of themselves. Now, according to the National Coalition for the Homeless, increased homelessness among elderly persons is largely the result of poverty and the declining availability of affordable housing among certain segments of the aging. So, uh, Margot Cushell, MD, professor of medicine at UC San Francisco, is an expert on the elderly who become homeless, and she agrees with uh, this report. Uh, she says, a lot of these people have been healthy their whole lives, but it doesn't take long for their health to plummet once they're homeless. But she says, once someone is housed, depression often lifts, stress fades away, infections heal, it's instant. So um, a lot of, the, of what we do, you know, we are, are a generous, generous uh, country. Uh, whatever you can do to help out the homeless folks, uh, please do that. It is, uh, it is a growing problem in this country. And now, you know, as, uh, and, uh, we have this aging population, it is becoming uh, an even bigger problem. Because these people cannot help themselves. Many are much older than that, over than over 50. But that's a huge percentage. All right, that's it for this week's edition of What's Up. Um, folks, if, if, if you come across any interesting articles or information regarding news items that you think our listeners should know about, uh, email me at upsideof40 at gmail.com. That's upsideof40 at gmail.com. Also, you can, you know, any other comments, feedback on the podcast or topics you'd like to see me cover. Uh, email me, upside of 40 at gmail.com. All right, another great episode of Upside of 40 will arrive next Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, for all of you listeners on iTunes, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe. Uh, give us a review and a five-star rating. It will be much appreciated, and believe me, it really helps. Uh, it, helps uh, it helps us bring on more and more listeners. Also, as I mentioned, if you like what you're hearing, please spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell them that they need to listen as well. Until next time, though, I'm Sean Mooney for Upside of 40. Mm-hmm.